Anyway, what I want to do um, today is to continue with the days associated with, with Easter. So we started last Sunday with our Palm Sunday service and we, we looked at some of the days leading up to the so-called triumphant entry into Jerusalem. We saw how important the, the resurrection of Lazarus was because it was something that Jesus did in a very public way. There was no denying that it happened. And that upset the religious leaders. The triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem was another thing that upset the religious leaders too. Although he rode on a donkey signifying peace, the people laid palm leaves and clothing on the road. And that was a, a sign that here was royalty, a king. And of course that was very inconvenient for the religious rulers. And then a couple of days later, Jesus cleansed the temple which would have been seen by the religious rulers as a direct attack or a direct attempt to undermine their authority. The money changers there, those who were selling doves, those activities on their own were not wrong. You have a look at the Old Testament law and you see that the poor people were allowed being sacrificed because they couldn't afford lambs or goats or um, cattle. So what was happening there was in line with the law, but it was the heart of the people that led them to exploit the poor by charging exorbitant rates for the exchange of the coins so that people could pay temple tax and by selling the doves at inflated prices. So even to participate in the required festivals was something that was used as a means of oppression by the ruling elite against the ordinary, everyday Jew. Some people also say that these activities were happening in the court of the Gentiles, making it impossible for Gentiles to actually get into the temple. It's an interesting take on it. At this time too, of course, Jesus cursed the fig tree because it bore no fruit. And that is symbolic of what was about to happen to Israel because, of course, Israel bore no fruit. At least the leaders bore no fruit. So Jesus upset people quite a lot in those last, those last days. There were those two reactions. The adoration, the recognition that Jesus was indeed royalty. But on the other hand, the religious leaders determined that they needed to get rid of him. And Lazarus as well. So we talked on Good Friday about the betrayal.
betrayal of Jesus, the 30 pieces of silver is basically the reparation you had to pay if a slave was accidentally killed. It wasn't very much. We talked about his arrest. We talked about his trial, which really didn't meet standards of justice. Didn't really matter because Jesus wasn't a Roman citizen and so Pilate didn't have to take too much care in terms of his own decision. Despite the fact that Pilate believed that Jesus was innocent, frankly he wasn't like the other so-called messiahs because he didn't have an army following him and backing him up. He just had disciples, ordinary folk, fishermen, tax collectors. He was no threat to the Romans, that's for sure. But Pilate didn't have to apply the same standards of law to Jesus as he would to a Roman citizen. Remember that on a number of occasions, Paul claimed Roman citizenship in order to exercise certain rights he had in terms of the legal system. Jesus couldn't do that because he wasn't a Roman citizen. So we ended up on, on Good Friday, which was quite possibly on the Wednesday. Just before sunset, Pilate allows Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus to take the body of Jesus and place it in a tomb. Two things stand out here. First, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they were both religious leaders. They both belonged to the great Sanhedrin. Yet these were two religious leaders who believed in Jesus. Nicodemus actually stood up and demanded that Jesus have a trial. He kind of stuck up for Jesus at great risk to himself. And then Joseph and Nicodemus, they actually went to Pilate and sought permission to take the body. That was also risky because by this time Pilate would have been well and truly fed up with the shenanigans of the Jews. What made this quite unusual was the fact that when criminals were crucified, their bodies were usually just dumped in a trench. This was different. Joseph of Arimathea offered up his own tomb for Jesus. At the end of that day, the first day of unleavened bread began. On Thursday, the chief priests and the Pharisees asked Pilate to station his soldiers outside the tomb. They were worried that the disciples might secretly steal the body away 
somehow force prophecy to be true. Pilate declines, but gives them permission to use their own guards. Now, by the way, the religious leaders actually had very little power except the power that Pilate gave to them. You know, even, even this is how much control Rome had over the religious leaders. Pilate actually kept their wardrobe of all the finery they wore for these special festivals. And so Caiaphas and all the priests and so on, they had to actually go to Pilate and ask for all of those um, raiments in order for them to be able to wear them at the special festivals. Pilate had the first and the last word in that place. Now he himself was actually a nobody in terms of the Roman hierarchy. He was from the equestrian class. He wasn't a member of the Senate. So there was no sort of nobility about him. He really had very little standing with Rome, which made his position quite precarious. And we explored briefly on Friday that ultimately it was the crowd's unrest that led Pilate to approve of the execution of Jesus. Because Pilate's number one job was to maintain good order in the part of the Roman Empire for which he was responsible. Anyway, the chief priests wanted to make sure that nobody could kind of force the prophet words to come true so they set up a guard and they sealed the tomb at sunset on the Thursday the first day of unleavened bread and the high holy day ends we come to Friday Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome and prepare spices for the body of Jesus. They then prepare for the Sabbath, which of course begins at sunset. Now on the Saturday, of course, they can't do anything because it's the Sabbath. But late in the afternoon, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary check on the tomb. Now, Jesus hasn't risen at this point. I don't know what they were thinking though when they saw that the tomb was sealed and there were guards there because they had intended to anoint his body. We simply don't know because the Bible doesn't record that. But just before sunset, Jesus is resurrected. Now there was something about this resurrection. He was resurrected in his same body. We won't be. We're going to get a new one. That means that that's what doesn't matter if we get cremated or what happens to our physical body.
body. We get a new one. Jesus didn't. Nor did Lazarus, by the way. That was unusual. But Jesus rises from the dead in his same body. It's three days, 72 hours from his death. At least according to the account that, that I'm using here. He died just before sunset on Wednesday and he rose just before sunset on Saturday, the Sabbath day. On Sunday, early in the morning, we know this story well, Mary Magdalene and other women go to the tomb with the spices they had prepared earlier. They get a bit of a surprise, don't they? Because they see that the stone has been rolled away and sitting on that stone is an angel who tells them to go into the tomb. Inside the tomb, they find a young man clothed in white who shows them that the body is gone. Now this is very, very significant. Why would God choose women to be the very first witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus? If you have a look at Old Testament law, women weren't regarded as being reliable to give testimony. Under the law, you needed two at least reliable witnesses whose stories corroborated one another. They were always male. The only, the only circumstances under the law when women were able to give evidence was in the case of uh, rape or adultery sexual sin against the women. But here we have women who are the first witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. Now I reckon there's a reason for this because you see it's one of the pieces of evidence that points to the fact of the resurrection that it is more than a story. The angel said to the women, you go tell the disciples what you've seen. Especially Peter. I wonder why. <laughs> Peter was in for a bit of a shock. The women tell Peter and John who race to the tomb to see for themselves. It was true. It was true. Jesus had risen from the dead. Later that day, <coughs> Roman soldiers report to the chief priests who bribed them to lie about what happened. See, this was mucking up their day. They'd gone to bed the night before the Sabbath of the Passover. They were satisfied that they dealt with a problem. <coughs> this bloke isn't Jesus. Sorry, this bloke isn't the Messiah. It was Jesus, all right, I knew that. But he's not the Messiah. There's no way this guy is going to rise from the dead. And anyway, even if he does, 
we've got a guard and the tomb is sealed. So he's not going to be able to get out. So Caiaphas went to bed happy. All the priests went to bed happy. All the members of the great Sanhedrin went to bed happy. They dealt with a niggling problem. I don't think Pilate could have cared less because he wasn't worried about blasphemy. Who cares if someone blasphemes against the God of the Jews because he wasn't the Roman God? Caesar was God. Pilate's main job was to keep the peace. Right? Don't let any kind of insurrection break out. Well, he dealt with that too, hadn't he? Because he'd satisfied the demands of the crowds and they dispersed. But you want to know what the point of Sunday was? God vindicated Jesus. You see, Jesus would have been guilty of blasphemy if he hadn't risen from the dead. Because what he said about himself would not have been true. Didn't Jesus claim to be the Son of God? Didn't Jesus actually confess before the Sanhedrin that he would be raised up and he would sit with the Father in heaven and he would come to judge them? See if Jesus wasn't who he said he was and he would have been guilty of blasphemy and he would have been put to death under the law. And it would have all been okay. But God vindicated Jesus. His resurrection proved that he told the truth. His resurrection proved that he told the truth. <laughs> Wasn't there a movie by a certain former deputy president of the United States called An Inconvenient Truth? This was an inconvenient truth to the religious leaders of the time. As we saw on Good Friday, the big threat from Jesus was that he would undermine the power and authority of the religious leaders, but not only that it would undermine their power and authority, but that he would undermine their economic base. No more temple tax. They'd no longer be able to live lives of luxury. They'd no longer be able to live in palaces. Herod's successes would have had no place in the structure of Israel. Jesus 
stop him by sealing up that tomb and by placing a guard at the entrance so that his body couldn't be stolen away. And then when it turned out that in fact he had risen from the dead, the chief priest bribed the Roman soldiers to say that the body had been stolen because they didn't want the truth to get out. I won't go through the evidence in support of the resurrection. I actually did that last year in great detail. I won't go through that again. But part of that evidence does involve the women whose privilege it was to be the very first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. And by the way, there were plenty of female disciples of Jesus. Sunday we, we celebrate this resurrection, we celebrate it as a victory over death we celebrate it as evidence of the eternal life that we have because of Jesus but we should also remember it as the day that God vindicated Jesus, remember Jesus said from the cross right at the end of his life my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, his God, his God did not forsake him. Instead, his God vindicated him. If we apply the same standard of history as historians normally apply, one must conclude that the resurrection is fact. Jesus did not die. Well, sorry, he did. Jesus died, but he rose again. It was impossible to keep him in the grave. So, let us meditate on that over the coming days. What we've done last Sunday, Good Friday, and today is to just work through the, the history of that first Easter. Jesus, at the end of his ministry on earth, he took on the authority. He no longer said, don't tell anyone, when he performed a miracle. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, it was a very public thing. And then he confronted the religious leaders by any standard of justice he was not treated fairly by the Sanhedrin or by Pilate he was executed for political reasons power on the part of the religious leaders keeping the peace having a quiet life on the part of Pilate. 
but it's interesting as I mentioned on Friday when you look in the book of Acts at the preaching of people like Peter John and Paul they never once make the claim that his was a political death because that's not what really matters what matters was that God vindicated Jesus by raising him. 